Hello, Sour Friends. It's Moscow here reminding you that a great way to support the Brewing Network is by shopping on Amazon. Just go to the Brewing Network's homepage and click on the Amazon link and do all your shopping as normal. You won't even know it, but we'll be there in the background, and Amazon gives us a little tiny cut of everything that you buy. And boy, does it help keep the lights on around here. You can do it in the U.K., you can do it in Canada, and of course in the good old U.S. of A. Amazon is a great place to do all your Christmas shopping and, hey, get everyone precisely what they want without having to get up off of your sour brewing butt. Many, many of you do it already, and of course, for that, we are eternally grateful. Please keep it up, and for those of you that are not yet doing it, please give it a shot. As a matter of fact, set it as your Amazon bookmark, and then you won't even have to remember every time. Thank you in advance, and now, here's the Sour Hour. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. As I'm adjusting my mic <laughs> for like the third show in a row. Tone going up with the volume control? Yes. Oh. It was a little misleading because I was getting louder in my, like, in my voice, but mm-hmm. also rising the volume in the headset. It was not that smart. But you know what was smart is testing before we went to air, which we did. We did, and I messed that up too. Uh, yeah. So it's that time. Welcome back to the Sour Hour Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network studios in lovely... Very, uh, very nice temperature tonight in downtown Concord. So perfect. It's already dark out. My favorite time of year. Yeah, daylight savings. It's the hot topic around these parts. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> polarized opinions about daylight savings. Here with Scott. How's it going, Scott? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Tonight's guest, <laughs> <laughs> our good friend, Brandon Jones, the wrangler of the funk at Yazoo Brewing Company slash founder of Embrace the Funk, the blog, and now that's kind of smashed into the name of their uh, sour beer program. You guys might remember, Brandon, from our uh, Milk the Funk show, uh, which is, what's that, like June of last year? 15, yep, that sounds about right, a year and a half. Great show, uh, a lot of good beer info, and uh, all the guys on uh, Milk the Funk, uh, all the participants, too, have been uh, great friends of the show, and it's just been a great resource, so happy to get Brandon back on, and we've got some uh, very exciting news to share on the show tonight. Some uh, hardcore listeners or people who hang out on Sour Beer internet forums may already know this news, but I'll I'll wait for Brandon to come on to kind of talk about that so you're telling me I, I don't need to get the breaking news drop since people already know you, you need to get it <laughs> no no uh, by the way i realize now i prefer the abc news ab okay that's the one no, I'll be ready that's it's just beautiful but let me say too the um all the job titles i'm, I'm loving all the the different clever yeah. we got the wrangler of the funk uh, who was the keeper of the funk walt, uh, walt i think yep. um uh the funk master flex yep there was uh, kevin barrel yeast wrangler type uh, stuff I love it. yeah mine's not that creative what but. are you again brewer director director of, of brewing? blending and brewing it's good <laughs> A little boring. <laughs> Extremely boring. So so corpo. Uh, if you want to join in and make fun of my title, you can contact us on the phone, 888-401-BEER. 
Join us in the chat. Feedback before and after the show, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com or myself, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. And you can watch us. We're on the camera right now. Brewingnetwork.com slash TV. What else? What else? <laughs> I don't know. We haven't had any like uh, epic travels or anniversary parties or uh, new bars opened or anything. No, the- I've got a great reminder though. You can also listen live oh. on the Brewing Network app just by searching BN Mobile on oh. the search bars wherever you find that stuff. Well, and uh, yeah, you can subscribe on iTunes or whatever and leave feedback. Oh, that's what we should do at the top. Can you? Uh, oh yes. See if there's any new feedback, making fun of yeah, the session. Re- review of the week while giving us a good review. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, it might take me a second here because I got to pull up. I, Go for it. I'm going to, to go. uh, do my quick update on happenings at the Rare Barrel. Nothing has happened since <laughs> the last show. <laughs> <laughs> I sat for about 10 minutes trying to fill in this part of it, but I was like, you know what? Nothing, no, nothing's going on. Uh, you know, <laughs> we had our, there's just so much that we updated on the last show. It was like mm-hmm. GABF, anniversary, our, uh, our beer club opened. Um, I guess one thing I can tease out is that we're, uh, doing another public bottle sale. So the, you guys might remember this from a previous show, but if you have a California address, you can log on to the rare barrel buy some beer and get it shipped out to you so that's always a, a fun way to for us to be able to share our beer with people who aren't able to visit the taste room and you can kind of join in and see some of the things uh you know we've been looking at talking about and tasting on the show over these two years right two plus yeah yeah it's pretty crazy yeah august 14 does it feel new or old to you still newish yeah yeah feels like brand new totally yeah Time flies. Love it, though. Having fun. Getting it done. <laughs> did you find a good review? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, and the, the other issue, by the way, as far as the updates, is that, you know, we were in the studio, what, two, not even two weeks ago? Yeah. And you know, we're having these weird things where sometimes it's like we record on, like, the second of the month, and then both of our schedules are crazy, and you're yeah. traveling all over the world, and then we don't get in the studio till like, the 24th of the following month, so it's, like, practically two months goes by, and we have a million updates. Yeah, and it's then been happening there, a lot, yeah. Right. Exactly. And then this sort of the opposite happened at the end of October. We recorded our October shows, and now here we are at the sort of beginning of November, mm-hmm. and so there's just, you know, there's either way too much or not enough to update. So sorry for the sporadic nature of the, the broadcast. It's just, you know, it's crazy times. For it's literally our fault. Mine and Scott's. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> no, no, no one else's. Else no. <laughs> okay. The review of the week uh, is from Michael Waldron. Who says it's true? Before listening to this podcast, I was a skeptic on brewing sour beer in my garage. We were once all victims of those frightening tales, which led you to believe that introducing bacteria into your garage would result in the destruction of all your gear. Despite my insatiable desire to drink sour beer, I didn't think I could be one of those dedicated disciples committed enough to take on sour beer at home. The Sour Hour with Jay, Scott with one T, and Bevo, apparently nice rack, has changed my perception of sour beer forever. Even though I am just in the fledgling phase of my my sour beer blendery. I'm more excited than ever to be brewing. The show has demystified all the rumors and whispers regarding wild yeast, bacteria, aging, and contamination, uh, or as the uh, folks in the Alabama State Legislature call it, contamination. I have gone through every episode of the archives in about a two-month span, and I'm now in the process of revisiting some of the heavier episodes. I look forward to a new episode every other week and cannot lend enough praise to the BN, making difficult information accessible to home brewers like me. Thank you. All right, let me tell you Holy what I don't Christ. like about that. I don't like that. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That's Amazing review. Very flattering. Uh, verbose in nature. I prefer the making fun of the session ones, though. Because that's like, this, <laughs> this one's, although it's very flattering, it's hard for me to hear. You know, I don't want us to, like, 
fluff our pillows on the air every uh-huh. week. It's like I'd rather just make fun of Justin and JP and stuff like that. Okay, there are some of those, but uh, in I that's took very my, nice. I took my own very advice nice. and read through these after the uh, last <laughs> show and uh, saw a few that were just really fantastic. Including that was that fantastic. Um, so we we will we'll, we'll work in on the next show. We'll do a uh, anti session one. And if you need uh, more material, you can listen to the other BN shows and make fun of them through our reviews. That's uh, Bruce Strong, although that's a good show. Doctor Homebrew, also a good show. Brewing with Style, good show. Session, bad show. <laughs> so just holler at the session in our reviews, and we're having a lot of fun reading those. So thank you guys. As I mentioned, no new updates uh, <laughs> from the Rare Barrel from last time. Last episode, speaking of last time, was uh, Kevin Martin, also mentioned a little bit earlier from Cascade Brewing. Got to listen to those shows. That was a great time. Had a lot of good beers. And uh, for all of those who have been listening for a long time and maybe for some reason have not listened to that show yet, your hot beer questions have been answered. That's all I'll say. So just go check out that show. Okay. Scott, that is... All I have at the top. Should okay. we do some a question, maybe even sure. two, before we get to a break? Sure. And these questions are brought to you by sourbeerblog.com. Speaking of fluffing pillows, there's a great article up there about me. Dr. Lambic, our friend, great sponsor of this show, did a, a rare barrel feature. So that's uh, an interview with uh, myself, and um, he talks about coming to visit the rare barrel and some of the beers uh, he got to try along with uh, his blending partner, Kale. I think I'm getting that right. Yes. There's some confusion about that last time. Yes, there's a coal and a kale. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's a little confusing. Kale's the blending partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a terrific article, and uh, I have to thank him because it's it's very flattering as well. So if you're interested in that, go check it out on sourbeerblog.com. Here's a question from BJ who writes in, I have a bourbon barrel-aged barley wine that became infected somehow accidentally in the barrel. I want to now use that barrel to produce sour beers. Is this a good idea? Should I just discard the barrel? Uh, if I can use the barrel for sour beers, what steps should I take to prepare the barrel for purposely, purpose, it's phrased weirdly, to brew sour beers in the future, right. basically? Yeah. Interesting uh, dilemma there. I think, you know, some people get infections of their clean beer and I'd say most of the time uh, it's not a good thing. Sometimes it kind of works. It tastes good just kind of by blind luck. Um, I've, I've had some of these beers before, and it's nice. You just get like a little lactic acid on, and I could see that, you know, maybe working on a big barley one. Maybe that's not, you know, for everyone's taste. I guess that's the first step is what I'm saying is, you know, if it's a good positive flavor, you're going to probably be able to get away with not treating the barrel as much and then, I would caution that once you remove the barley wine, either to consume it if you like it or to dump it, you know, def- you definitely want to re-inoculate with, you know, intentional yeast and bacteria mixes that, that you like so it will kind of overrun this infection one. Caveat, that's my opinion on how you should go with it. But if you like it and you want to just cultivate that, that'd be a cool way to go about it too. If you don't like the way this infection has turned your beer, then I would say... You're going to want to dump it and then uh, treat that oak barrel. Bourbon barrels are nice. They're seemingly more uh, more available to homebrewers. I feel like we get a lot of homebrewers writing in. They have bourbon barrels as opposed to, like, the number of people who write in and say, oh, I've got this wine barrel that I'm doing a sour in. It's, like, very commonly bourbon barrels. Uh, that might be an availability or a price thing. But bourbon barrels also tend to let in quite a bit of oxygen during the aging process. I mean, not not nearly as bad as like a, a plastic bucket or maybe um, some carboys, depending on how they're set up. 
Is it bourbon barrel specifically or any barrel? Bourbon barrels. Why? Um, Why is it different? I mean, they just light them on fire oh, I from see. the inside. So they're these like well-made oak structures and then... I see. So it just becomes sort of warped slightly? Yeah. Well, they just like leak and they leak like mm. either the liquid that's in them or like it's seemingly even like almost like sap from the oak that could be totally wrong about that but hmm. the hoops are all messed up anyway so you want to um kind of monitor that closely but yeah treat the inside of the oak barrel as much as you can rinsing with hot water cold water there's some barrel chemicals that you can use out there we've transitioned away from using that kind of stuff but something you can look into i would still caution and this is just a reminder for all the listeners who deal with bourbon barrels even though you filled that barrel with beer previously i'd still be pretty nervous to light a disc of sulfur in that which is a common way to treat oak barrels you know just why risk it and obviously the the danger there is uh the residual alcohol in the oak lighting on fire Mm -hmm. um which would be bad and maybe (laughs) your garage can't take that uh but yeah it seems like um you might be able to deal with that one way or another and uh let us know how it goes Here's another question from uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon B., who says, uh, when Walt from Wicked Weed was on, he mentioned that Wicked Weed was aging their beers on fruit, and then prior to packaging, fruiting them again. That was their secret to getting that real jamminess, you know? Brandon says, his question is, do they add fresh brett to ferment the beer out quickly to get it to packaging? How else can you maintain that fresh fruitiness and ensure stability? It's a great question. Uh I can forward it to Walt. <laughs> well, let's talk. I, how does it yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'll answer that uh, as if I were him. Uh, all right. So, hey, bro. Uh, this is totally after you. No, Dude, you look so hungover. <laughs> I look, I'm in a lot better shape <laughs> than I was a few seconds ago. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's a good idea to add fresh bread uh, when you add fruit, depending on kind of where the level of the base beer is. Something that we're trying to do at the Rare Barrel lately is adding fresh yeast and bread. Uh, especially if the beer is tending to be a little more of an acidic environment, we want to make sure that the fruit re-fermentation really kicks off. But, you know, as you bring up a successful fruit re-fermentation, maybe getting a really vigorous one is also blowing off a lot of, a lot of volatile. So, yeah, I think the closer you can do it to bottling, the more you can trap those. The tricky part of that is kind of factoring in the residual sugar and how that's going to affect your carbonation going forward, which is one of the main dangers of making sour beer. Bottle another, bombs. Yeah, another safety warning. But, uh, yeah, I know um, I'm pretty sure the Lost Abbey does this with Frambois de Amorosa. I think they use raspberry puree at the bottling. So it's almost maybe they factor it into their, like, priming sugar calculations, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I think you can definitely do that, and it's a good idea. You should try it out. Just be wary of uh, overcarbing. Let's do one last one. It's sort of a longish question. I'm going to try to read it quickly. This is from Derek Hogan, who says, listen to the show for a while. It has inspired me to try my hand at mixed culture fermentation. Cool. He says he has a question about bottle conditioning. Um, Speaking of that, soon I will be bottling my first mixed culture ale. Plan to condition the beer in the bottle, adding dextrose at bottling. I do not have a way to measure the residual CO2 in the fermented beer, and I'm wondering if there's a way to estimate the residual CO2. The bottle priming calculators I use assume a certain residual CO2, usually around 0.8 units. I know that uh, beer temperature has an impact on residual CO2, and I assume the length of time in the fermenter also has an impact. Uh, What number should I use as my starting volumes? To give you some context, Uh, I made a golden ale with four pounds of Pilsner DME, three pounds of wheat DME. I steeped six ounces of torrified wheat to help 
uh, with head creation and retention. I added uh, just a kiss of the hops at 3 IBU of Hallertau, pitched Weiss 3763, that's the Rosalair blend, um, and the bottle drains of, w- of one Orval bottle. In bottle conditioning, I'm aiming for three-plus units of CO2 in the finished beer, and estimating my starting CO2 in the beer will be important to prevent over-priming. So any advice on this front? He's thinking about all the right things, and I'm glad he brought this up because I know that a lot of the priming rate calculators online use a set volume for CO2 already in solution in the beer. So imagine, if you will, like a regular beer fermentation. You're you know, fermenting. It's a week, two weeks, maybe three in the primary fermenter. And once it's the gravity is stable, you might just be packaging it right then. So since it's been so close to... You know, the primary fermentation, which obviously creates and dissolves a lot of carbon dioxide, you've already got some carbonation in the beer, basically. Yeah. Um, Which he's saying, he says, usually assumes the residual CO2 is around 0.8. Right. But then what happens when you send it to an oak barrel, knocking some CO2 out of solution, and then age it for a certain amount of time? That means your residual CO2 is going to go down. So I wish I had a better answer for this because... It would be smart to have, but at the rear barrel, (laughs) we actually just kind of went off of um, other commercial breweries' uh, priming rates, started at a pretty conservative one, and then have built up over time. So if you taste our, you know, first beers, it's kind of at like a floor level of carbonation, and slowly over time, we built that up. So you could approach it like that. Um, You could assume a lower level. uh, You could have kind of an acceptable range, right? So... If the calculator has 0.8, maybe you, your, for your first one, you assume 0.3 instead, and you shoot for a middle ground, 2.8. So if you're low by 3.3, then you're still at 2.5 volumes, which is solid. If you're a little high, it's 3.3, which is high, but not unacceptable for sour beer. You could kind of try to get there that way. Um, but basically, my experience has been uh, with trial and error, basically, but... That's a great question. And the last thing I'll recommend is just strong bottles. So we have like the sturdiest glass you can get. I know uh, more beer, I think, sells like the 375 milliliter version, where it's just like this really strong Belgian bottle. I think it's the bottle that Crooked Stave uses. Mm -hmm. And I'd recommend going for that too, because that'll just give you a little more uh, peace of mind safety wise. Derek mentioned Orval. So is that over 3.3 or 5? I always think of that as like a very effervescent beer. Right, yeah. I, I don't know what the volumes are of that beer, but I would assume that that's commercially, for commercially available beers, that's one of the, the highest. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then you don't really see anything over like 4 or anything uh, like that. Totally. So, yeah, low uh, threes maybe. Okay. Yeah, and mid threes is already like o- almost overwhelming effervescence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I should say uh, not an expert on CO2 volumes because we actually don't record them at the rear barrel at all. I don't know if this has come up before, but I've just always been a fan of perception of carbonation more than the actual volumes. I think there's value in having the number, but, you know, that's expensive equipment to have too. It's another thing to do. Uh, and with sour beer, with differences in head retention and the fact that the acidity plays with the carbonic acid and all these other Mm -hmm. factors, I think you can get fooled by taking a reading on volumes and just being obsessed with the volumes uh, rather than just going by, you know, what's the best carbonation to accent the way this beer tastes, which is kind of how we structure it. Totally. And now that you say it in those words, I can see... That's for what the Red Barrel's been doing almost since the beginning, right? Because I'm guessing your beers 
would show up low by the numbers, but the perception of the carbonation is exactly where it should be, or unless that's wrong. Well, like I said before, we've kind of been building up over time. That's probably an area that hasn't been as consistent. I think we're pretty consistent now. We're still going up and exploring higher priming rates. For reference, we're around the 2.3 to 2.5 pounds of dextrose per BBL. So if you've got a calculator handy, you can scale that down to homebrew uh, status. But we are obsessive about not leaving any residual sugar in the beer. So I think that's helped us in not seeing dramatic overcarbonation from where we were targeting in the bottles so far. Got it. All right. Well, thanks for writing in with the questions, everybody. Please keep them coming. All right. Well, I think we should take a break and get to Brandon. He sent us a whole bunch of beers, so we got to get through them. All right. Big night. All right. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Brewing Great Beer is a process of continuous learning, and the best books on every aspect of brewing can be found at Brewers Publications, with more than 50 awesome titles like Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles by Ray Daniels, American Sour Beers, Innovative Techniques for Mixed Fermentations by Michael Tonsmeyer, For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture Culture of Hops by Stan Hieronymus and Radical Brewing Recipes, Tales, and World Altering Meditations in a Glass by Randy Mosher, plus many, many more. These are the books and the authors with the knowledge to push your brewing farther than you thought possible. And you'll find them all at fine homebrew and book retailers everywhere. And visit the website at BrewersPublications.com. Brewers Publications, all the best on beer and brewing. Successful break. Fifty percent successful. Oh no, that was like ninety-eight. Right yeah. at the end. All right, we're back. Going to talk to uh, Brandon Jones from Yazoo Brewing Company in a second here. But before that, I want to give a big shout out to uh, another one of our great sponsors, the Wine and Hop Shop. They're over at WineandHop.com. Scott. They now carry Omega yeast and Giga yeast. But best of all, most items ship within twenty-four hours. And best of all. BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Best of all, just enter <laughs> BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. And best of all, the discount's going to be taken off after checkout. Man. The Wine and Hop Shop. Wine and Hop. Dot com. com. Their, uh, their URL is the best of all, too. Yeah, that's it, good. It's all the best. Love, love Wine and Hop Shop. Madison, Wisconsin. All right. We have one of two beers open. So we should bring in the uh, the blender of those beers. Brandon, are you with us? I am, buddy. How are you doing? Doing great. It's great to hear your voice, man. Yeah, man. Hope things are well out there. Doing just fine, uh, except for uh, struggling to open one of the two beers we're going to try to taste side by side. The so, first one was like just right off, too. So, Brandon, what I wanted to start with is uh, I want to get into... You, your background, your philosophy. Some some people remember. Oh, Scott just got yes. it. Yes, <laughs> boom. Twentieth uh, times the charm. Your sour beer making uh, kind of mindset at Yazoo slash embrace the funk. But uh, to kind of start into that, uh, we've got a couple of beers open here in front of us. Uh, it's the Du Rouge and the Cherry Du Rouge. I think I'm 
maybe not pronouncing that right, but hopefully I am. And uh, the cherry got you guys a, a bronze at GABF. So that, yeah, you, know, you guys know right. what you're talking about. Yeah, that beer. Yeah, I guess that was the beer that probably really put it on the map for me and really kind of changed changed my life. It was that was in uh, 2014. So I was still we we started the program. I guess we'll just rewind and tell a little bit of the backstory of how it how the ETF program came about. I'd known Linus, uh, which owns uh, Yazoo. I'd known him for quite a number of years. Yazoo opened in 2003 in downtown Nashville, and. He and I, it was a small tap room, so he and I had just kind of known each other through the tap room. And I was a home brewer, and I would bring in beers like most home brewers do, and uh, you know, shove them in the face of a you know of a respected brewer, and you know, see what they told me, and cross my fingers, and you know, hope they liked it, and you know, that made you feel good. And if you, you know, if they didn't, maybe they could point out something, and it would make your beer better. At the time, really, nobody was was doing a whole lot of sours in in Nashville. I guess nobody was doing a whole lot of sours in 2003 or four um, nationwide either. But I had always just had this um, this passion for for sours, so I kept brewing it, kept going on and uh, exploring everything that I could uh, through even the uh, Burgundian Babel Belt. Um, we didn't have the resources that we do now. So a lot of it was books. A lot of it was uh, finding old uh, uh, writings from Michael Jackson, uh, seeing what Charlie Papazian had uh, explored, reading old articles, back, uh, back issues of, uh, of their magazines, just to see what I could find out. And um, I just kept trying, kept trying uh, different things and uh, finally came up with some recipes that I really enjoyed. Uh, the first one was uh, was my Flanders Red. I'd been working on that beer uh, since 2005, and um, Linus and I brewed a beer for charity in uh, 2010. So I brought him a couple bottles for us to taste, and uh, that was my first kind of pro brew experience was um, was uh, doing that beer with with him in 2010. So he had tasted some beers and and you know, really enjoyed what I was doing and, and liked the flavors of the beers, and he seemed to like sour beers. So we did the uh, – it was an IPA, actually, that we brewed. So we um, served that at Tap Room. Uh, it went over really well. A couple of years later, I was kind of getting the itch to uh, you know, hopefully get another pro brewer to uh, brew with me. And I saw Linus at a festival and said, hey, we should do something again. I've got this barrel um, that they were going to be emptying, and it was a barrel that Vinny from Russian River had given me that had a batch one consecration in it. Um, I had just reached out to him in 2008, uh, 2008 or nine. And uh, just asked what they were doing with their barrels. And he said, you know, I'd be happy to send one for your homebrew club if you'd like. So he did. Uh, actually, he uh, I could kick myself now because he said, uh, would you like three of them? Because we can fit three on a pallet. <laughs> I was like, nah, I, one's good, one's good. You know, now I would love to have those barrels. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and, and homebrewers, don't don't reach out to Vinny now. Vinny's not giving <laughs> barrels out anymore in, 20, in 2016, okay? So this, this, was, uh, <laughs> this is definitely something that's, that's passed by. Unless you're going to ask really nicely. Yeah, you've yeah, got a good smile and, uh, and charm. Maybe, maybe you can. I don't know. Um, Come on, what's one barrel? Yeah, well, you know, it's one barrel to Vinny. So I'd done that beer uh, at home, brought the beer. Uh, so Linus said, yeah, sure, uh, let's do something. I don't know if it was a, yeah, sure, um, if you'll stop asking me, I'll let you put 59 gallons of word in a barrel at Yazoo and let's be done with it. But So we, uh, I brought the barrel over. Um, we made one beer in it, and um, that kind of kicked it off for us. Uh, we sold that, sold that, and um, people, people were responsive in Nashville. That was in uh, July 2012 when we started the program. 
So uh, we did that uh, batch. I'd, I kept pushing to make something from scratch instead of just using work that we already had and funking up the word in, in oak. So uh, we did the uh, Flanders Red that I had worked on as a homebrewer. And uh, that was what became Deruge's. Um, at the time, I kept trying. I was still trading a lot of beer. And I couldn't get a hold of Alexander Rodenbach. I kept trying to get that beer, kept trying to trade for it. And one day I just realized it's not going to happen. So we had these six barrels sitting upstairs of uh, Flanders Red. And I said, you know what, we're just, I'm just going to do a cherry version and just make my own and see what it tastes like. And hopefully that's that'll give me the idea of what this would have tasted like. So bought a bunch of cherries, um, put it in the barrel, and uh, ended up winning a GABF medal with that, uh, with that beer. So it, uh, it, was, it was a pretty special day for us walking across that stage at my first, uh, first GABF that I didn't have to buy a ticket for and being in the room and seeing Charlie and getting the medal and having people – that had followed the blog for a number of years that, you know, were, were super proud. I mean, I generally think people were super happy and, and proud of what, of what I had done, what I'd accomplished in, in Nashville and kind of the attention that it, that it brought that, you know, with good education and, and the will, you can, you know, you can do something great. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And, uh, you know, you referenced the, the blog. I want to get into that a little bit. So what is Embrace the Funk and what, what has it morphed into now for you? Well, Embrace the Funk started as is really something I was going to keep my um, just keep up homebrew stuff on. I was just going to put up recipes just as a uh, uh, just a kind of a log for myself. I didn't I didn't really have anything other than paper or anything at the time. And my wife was doing a, a blog about teas and stuff, and I didn't know how to make a uh, make a blog or anything. So she showed me how to register something through WordPress and. She said, well, what are you going to call it? And I said, I have no idea what I'm going to call this blog. So uh, we were actually we were waiting on a TV show to come on. We had about 10 minutes before Breaking Bad started and had about 10 minutes to make this decision. I don't know why I felt like I had to make that decision right then, but I guess uh, I just felt like I needed to. And she kept asking, you know, what do you want out of it? What do you think people would like out of it? And I said, I don't know. I just want them to uh, be able to enjoy sour beers and wild beers and know what these beers truly are. And if I can just, you know, pull back that veil of mystery just a little bit to help somebody get into homebrewing or help somebody try out a bottle they might, have, you know, see on the shelf that has the word sour or Britannomyces or something in it, then uh, then maybe it'll be a win. I just want people to embrace the funk. And she just said, you need to register that uh, <laughs> that name right there and call it Embrace the Funk. So I did. And um, it just kind of took off from there. I was doing pro brew interviews. Um, yeah, I hate to you know say Vinny again, but I mean Vinny was one of the first uh, interviews that I did. Um, Jean and Cantillon uh, was kind of the turning point on the blog. Um, it was the first blog or the first place that he had publicly stated that they were going to have a new facility in a few years, and he gave me that interview Scoop. a couple of days before um, uh, before Swan's Day, and uh, that got picked up by all the uh, beer. Uh, uh, beer media outlets and um i went from getting like five to ten hits a day to over a thousand at that point Ooh. and um it just kind of propelled the the blog into i don't know blog beer blog stratosphere if that's even a term but um <laughs> blog <of beer. laughs> so after that the interviews came pretty easy i think you know just talking to uh talking to brewers that i respected asking questions that um you know that weren't hey can i get a bottle of this can you you know stuff like that it was it was questions on process it was questions on um ingredients um philosophies ideas on uh on their on their products and 
uh, you know, this was around 2010 or so. We just, I don't think that we had really hit that, uh, that big spike in everybody's got a sour program or everybody's doing something with some wild yeast at that point. So, you know, a lot of these projects were still, um, fairly, I don't know, maybe just regionally known at that point for, the, uh, for some of these brewers. Um, they didn't have the, they didn't have the attraction. I guess at that point, IPAs were still, uh, completely kings on, what people wanted to get out of these breweries. So they were happy to talk about what they're doing because they were exploring stuff. Um, you know, even the pioneers were still looking for new ways to do things looking for new discoveries and they were happy to talk about it. So, um, you know, thankfully they chose my platform to be able to uh, give some cool, uh, cool advice and, uh, uh, recipes, things like that. And it just kind of went on from there. Brandon, I have a very important question. Um, how yeah. do you get scoops? Because uh, in all my years here at the <laughs> Brewing Network, we famously get scooped by um, blogs like yours, like Tony McGee uh, from Lagunita, <laughs> sat in the studio with us for an entire evening. Uh, and uh, then I, I, it was either the next day or the day after uh, the uh, news of the uh, merger or whatever, like um, steak buy and whatever you want to call it from uh, from Heineken came out. And uh, we just get scooped all the time, even <laughs> when it's by little, you know, podunk, which it's not anymore, but it was then blogs like yours. So how did you do it? I'd say it's two things. Uh, first of all, um, a good southern charm smile and uh, and a please and thank you. And <laughs> and uh, I spent uh, I spent 23 years in television. So um, so news media is my background. Uh, that's what I went to college for. Mm. Uh, so doing that, um, doing that taught me how to uh, uh, chase stories uh and uh, try to try to find scoops. I mean, the most of the info's out there. You just got to know how to put the pieces together and uh, and figure it out. And then you know, I guess I guess the other thing is, man, you, you just get lucky sometimes. Uh, like with the Canteon thing. I mean, he just literally just offered that up to my lap. I was just really just happy to talk to JVR, and he dropped that bomb, and I was like, oh wow, uh, okay, <laughs> I guess we're gonna this uh, this story kind of changed. But being having that. Uh, that background in uh, in media, yeah, and you, you you know to expect that sometimes. Um, I, I feel like that most of it's just uh, asking the right questions at the right time and um, having an having a having a way of going about it to where they know that you're actually interested in the story and not just trying to make a story and moving on to the next thing. It, it's a story that you care about, and it's a story that would truly affect you and things that you really enjoy. Well, Jay can attest, I have a huge smile on my face as I ask this question. Can you give us any scoops? <laughs> well, I hear there's a collaboration coming up. <laughs> oh, oh what a transition. Oh, good times. <laughs> That's what we call a segue. <laughs> Absolutely. So do, you, or do we have the ABC? Do I? This is an ABC News special report. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm no, I, that's not the one. I pulled up ABC News. No, that's not the one I like, though. Maybe it's NBC News. <laughs> You're killing me, Jay. You have to go through all bum, of them. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. From NBC News. No, and these no, all have the awful. voiceover, this is like man. The, that's, that's no like good. The Olympics no. lead in. That one right there sounds like Edward Murrow is going to come out and tell us a story with Cronkite. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little tough, too, because I got Brandon on the same pot. Yeah, well, we'll, news. I'll, we'll, I'll put it in in post. We'll do a scoop later. Yeah. And on the yeah. second scoop, and then we'll uh, we'll put it in there. But, uh, yeah, we are doing a collaboration. Yazoo Brewing Company slash Embrace the Funk, along with 
the rare barrel. I'll, I'll kind of tease that a little bit, but Brandon, then I want to have you uh, take it from there since you're uh, you're the guest. But uh, the basic idea is a crowdsourced collaboration beer. So uh, although Brandon and I are kind of taking point on organizing this project, we really want uh, all the people out there to, who listen to this show or, you know, provide uh, their comments and uh, information on Milk the Funk and all the great uh, sour beer information hubs that are out there to kind of join together and make a beer virtually yeah. in real life and all that stuff. So, Brandon, uh, tell us just, you know, how this sort of came to be in your eyes and, and why you're excited about it. I was super pumped when you when you mentioned. I guess the the backstory on it. Jay and I have we sat on panels together. We did that uh, panel at CBC. Um, I've I've kind of followed Jay's success throughout the years and what Rare Barrels done and read. I love reading on their blogs on the different techniques and things that, that they're doing. So um, you know, I was I was kind of excited when when Jay Goodwin wanted to talk to me one day. So um, <laughs> and then we got to uh, you know I kind of got to know uh, Jay and the Rare Barrel guys up in uh, up in Philly at CBC, and uh, you know I felt like we had kind of have uh, similar philosophies on on sour beer and acidity and beers and uh, and funkiness in beers and and kind of our approach on how we do things. So it was uh it felt kind of natural just to uh work together and uh jay hit me up one day he's like hey look i've got an idea that is kind of crazy uh so just you know let me know when you got some time and so i called him i was actually at the beach and uh so we did a we did a call and um he presented this to me as a uh, uh as a beer that that would be made um by rare barrel and yazoo but we would crowdsource all the ideas from the different educational uh, online forums and uh, and places, so um, I've got pretty good uh, pretty good reach through uh, Embrace the Funk and uh, and also Milk the Funk. Uh, Jay obviously has a really good reach through the Sour Hour with uh, a lot of people that are very engaged in these styles, uh, even if they don't brew these styles quite yet. They're still probably interested in learning about them, uh, learning about the process. Uh, how you know how to be successful in making these beers, and so, so I mean, I just felt like it was it was kind of the perfect fit for two people that spend a lot of time um, outside of our uh, professional brewing careers, really trying to educate people and really trying to get people to understand what these beers are all about and the uh, process, the high, the the whys, and you know, and the why nots on why we can do certain things, why we don't do certain things, but expanding that out to the reach that both of us have. It, it really makes sense to uh, just come together, uh, get to uh, make a make a beer together, but also involve everybody out there that is uh, is truly interested in trying to make a, a beer. And this, uh, I kind of said it in the press release, but I mean, this is kind of a global, you know, a global crowdsource thing. Uh, I don't I don't really know of any other project that's ever going to hit or that, that's hit yet on a level like this. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think as Brandon and I were discussing the possibility, the potential, the feasibility of doing a project like this. You know, one of our concerns is that it's just a logistical nightmare, basically. You're trying to make a beer with thousands of people, you know, sharing their opinions. But I think where we were both really passionate about the product project is uh, that part of it, where it's like, you know, let's, uh, let's embrace this discussion. Let's make that the focus. Let's say... You know, maybe we won't come to a consensus on every issue. Maybe Brandon and I, our job is to shepherd the project along. But 
really the discussion along the way, the ideas proposed by both pro brewers and home brewers and just sour beer enthusiasts, that's what's going to be the real value of this project. And it's going to take a long time. You know, sour beer already takes long enough if there's just one person making all the decisions. But, you know, if it's uh, if it's Brandon and I kind of steering a, a global conversation, as he put it, uh, that's going to take even longer. But that's the part that I'm most excited for. And just kind of opening those those dialogues. It's a lot of what we do at the Rare Barrel with the staff is just talk about what we want to drive flavor-wise, aroma-wise, and beers, what acidity we're looking for, and how we can manipulate process to achieve those results. And I honestly, having those conversations with my staff is what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's kind of the, one of the funnest things about what I get to do. And to be able to uh, share in that not only with Brandon, who's a brewer that I, I admire and trust and have gotten to know personally and had many a beer with uh, over the many uh <laughs> shared beer craft beer events we've been to but uh but also just the sour beer community as a whole has just been really exciting and uh we're pretty pretty excited to finally uh as brandon put it on facebook let this cat out of the bag such a cool oh idea yes i mean it's been it's been almost killing me to not be able to talk about this because i've been so excited about it because there is so much passion uh in in these styles and in this industry right now to create these styles, there's tons of ideas out there that people are just sitting, you know, sitting in their car waiting, you know, driving home. They think of this idea and like, oh man, I wish I could do this. And there could be an idea that, uh, you know, that neither you or I, you or I have ever thought of. And, you know, we get to bring that to the table. Uh, it gives the, it gives the chance for the guy that's, you know, maybe doing two to three gallon batches in his garage. I mean, his ideas are going to be his his ideas are going to influence this project. It's going to be a commercially produced beer that's going to have many months worth of discussion through our various uh, our various outlets. Um, his inputs valued or her inputs valued. I mean, it's that person is that person will have input into this, and I think that is I think that is just invaluable in this industry right now to have these open discussions and to to be able to have people explain their thoughts on it, their process on it, and what the end result could be on this. Uh, I feel like something like this is definitely going to help foster this community and make this community a little bit better um, as far as production of sour and wild beers go. Uh, when you have all these different voices, uh, it does sound like a lot and it does seem overwhelming, but I mean, it's certainly a task that, that I'm happy to, you know, to sit here and, and take on with you and and foster these discussions because the end result is definitely a win for the entire community. Yeah, and I mean, there's going to be so many steps along the way. And so if you guys are excited about this process, what I would say is kind of the next steps will be unfolding in the coming weeks and months through uh, Brandon and I on the various outlets. But if you want to get involved in the conversation already, just go on to uh, Milk the Funk, facebook.com slash Milk the Funk. If you haven't joined yet, highly recommend it. Actually, I think Milk the Funk might almost be up to, I want to say, 10,000 wow. members. Does that sound about right? Yeah, wow. it's got to be. Hang on. Let me look it up real quick. I believe it's about ten, about 10K. Didn't, didn't it start like uh, just at around a K or less when, when we started the show? I don't, I don't remember it's, what the opening number was. You mean like 30 minutes ago? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Um, well, after that exclusive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember. See. Yeah, like when, when we started this when hour. We had, or, when we had Milk the Funk on. Yeah, I seem to remember it at being under 1,000. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe that's wrong. Well, it started, let's see, right now it's, uh, yeah, it's it's just a tick under 10K. Wow. Um, 
So when it started, the kind of the backstory on on actually Milk the Funk was um, uh, my friends Brian, Brian Stiegel, and uh, Matt Rory's uh, from uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. This was started as a Nashville group. Uh, this was hmm. just Nashville and uh, Murfreesboro, and um, we Ryan had this idea to make this uh, make this group that would just be focused on alternative bacteria or alternative fermentations and mixed culture fermentations. And uh, we got to talking. Uh, it was after our uh, our festival a few years ago uh, about getting this started, and he kind of had con- some concerns on the name because it was fairly close. So he and I talked about it and worked everything out and kind of uh, helped build this and foster this community. And uh, But, I mean, it really did start with about uh, three or four people from uh, Middle Tennessee. And it's grown to, uh, like I said, almost 10,000 members now. And the uh, wiki site, you know, which is probably is something I'm – <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have a whole lot to do with the wiki site, um, but the wiki site is is something I'm super proud of. That it was a product of something that came from Middle Tennessee, and the wiki site is has peer reviewed uh, articles on it. Um, you've got people that are they're true scientists that are interested in these uh, in these different scientific explorations of uh, bacteria and uh, wild yeast. So, you know, they're used to writing papers, uh, reviewing things on a, on a scientific level. So they uh, – thankfully, we've got some great wiki editors in there, uh, some people that submit some really cool uh, articles that uh, they go up for review. And they go up on the wiki, and the wiki is publicly accessed. Um, I've, I see it referenced uh, all, over the, all over the old interwebs now. Uh, there's, definitely, uh, there's definitely a great catalog of information that uh, that will absolutely answer most of the questions that a lot of people that are just getting into uh, uh, sour and funky brewing and people that are dealing with uh, mixed fermentations. Um, there is a wealth of information on there with uh, with great sightings um, or great citations and uh, some really some really in depth uh, information. Yeah, it's an awesome resource, and it's the the great part about it is. You know, the the Milk the Funk Facebook is like, you know, new posts every day. Sour Hour is kind of like, okay, this is new new interviews, new content. The wiki is kind of the permanent home for a lot of the the takeaways from all this stuff. So it's it's tremendous. So we got to get to a break, but the one last thing I want to wrap up on this, if you guys want to get involved in the collab, and I strongly recommend you do, we want to hear your voice in this. That's what's going to drive the whole conversation. You definitely want to follow At The Rear Barrel at Yazoo Brew? Yeah, at Yazoo Brew. Yazoo um, Brew. It'd probably be mostly updated through mine, which is at Embrace the Funk on uh, Twitter and mm-hmm. um, Instagram. Uh, Facebook pages, I believe, also at Embrace the Funk. Also, just look up Embrace the Funk. Uh, you're either going to find that or uh, some uh, really dirty hip-hop. <laughs> and we're going to have some of that dirty hip-hop later <laughs> in the show on, during the breaks. But uh, uh, And then just the one last thing I'll mention is, and this is not my forte, so you can see how excited I am about, about it. We made a hashtag for it, hashtag Sour Collab. So I guess you can, you can search that hashtag and then things come up that are part of this discussion. But that's, in all seriousness, that's how we're going to kind of collate a lot of this stuff together. So uh, there's a lot of info on uh, Milk the Funk. Uh, so to kind of get through to these discussions, we have to use hashtag Sour Collab. We got a press yep. release out there too, explaining a little bit more. So uh, keep tuning into Sour Hour for updates. Join in the convo, but it's going to be great and collaborative. Again, pro brewer, home brewer, like sour beer lover, 
just get involved. It doesn't you don't have to know all about the process. If you love some flavor, that can get a discussion going amongst a bunch of sour brewers, and then you can learn how your favorite flavor and you know your favorite sour beer maybe gets formed. So first uh, thing that comes up when I hashtag sour collab into Twitter is a picture of Brandon's smiling face. Now, Brandon, is that the <laughs> smile? Is that the smile you use to get your scoops? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yes. I'm glad you guys like that one. I, I had to think about what picture it was because I I sent you guys a few pictures and I just realized what picture that was. That was actually at a uh, uh, at a barbecue festival, so I was probably geeking over the uh, whole hog that was just sitting over beside of me and wanted to get into that. Oh yeah, you can see the poster behind you with the pig on it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, so that's a hashtag sour collab and milk to fun, rare barrel yazoo, blah blah blah. So you you can find it, but uh, that's where a lot of the updates will be coming over the coming weeks. But please join the conversation. Email sour hour also. Jay at the Brewing Network, Scott at the Brewing Network, and we'd love to get into discussion topics and updates on the show as well. So if yeah. you want to be involved, get involved. We're looking forward to it. Okay, way over time. We need a break. Brandon is probably out of beer. He needs to get up and go get some more. Us too. So we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? <laughs> Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org a new Yazoo Brewing beer that I want to get into with our guest Brandon Jones. But before we do that, I have some very, very cool things to say out loud. <laughs> You've been thinking it. Thinking I've been thinking about this it. all night, but <laughs> now I'm ready to share with you, Scott. And I wanted to talk to you about the iDip Smart Brew Water Testing Kit. But Jay, water isn't that important to brewing, is it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> I don't think any of these things to talk about. It's important, Scott. Yeah, water's important. <laughs> uh, so the testing kit incorporates a revolutionary photometer. I think, again, that's maybe how you say it. Photometer? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's a system that is the first and only one on the market with its own app. The multilingual app is the brain. Smart Brew allows you to focus on the taste of the beer. This iDip is going to pair via Bluetooth and updates your water results instantly for your own water profile. That's going to include tests for things like total alkalinity, chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and more. So all that stuff you didn't get when you read the water book from John Palmer. Right. This is going to just tell you what's going on with it. So it's going to put into context all that 
crazy water chemistry that I frankly don't understand. And then I'm, I hope just smarter people than I <laughs> on my staff or in the brewing community can explain to me. But this is going to help you guys out if you're like me. There's a special for the Brewing Network listeners. Uh, you can enter the code TBN10, TBN10, at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or the advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit www. Dot smartbrewkit.com. And a quick and friendly reminder, please remember to tell our sponsors when you patronize them that you heard it here. It goes a long way to help them keep the lights mm-hmm. on when they know that we sent you. So either use the coupon code or you know send a, a one-sentence email and just thank them for supporting the Brewing Network. It, it goes a long way. Yeah, and some of the lights are out. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> bulbs. Dude, LEDs are expensive. Get some, get some eye dips in there and uh, <laughs> tell them who sent you. Thank okay. You. Let's uh, get Brandon back in here and talk about, what's the name of this beer, Scott? This is the Brett Saison. What is it? It just says Yahoo, Yazoo Brett Saison. <laughs> what's going on with this beer, Brandon? Yeah, it's why, delicious. Why no name? Well, it's, it's probably the one that says Remixed. If you look on the side, uh, there should be a little tag, and I bet that is the Remixed version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's what I sent. Is that on that little I white spot there? Don't, what are you looking at here? Oh, that's on there. Uh, no, it just says this is a batch number. I don't see remixed. No. It's very uh, watermelon-y, I think we've yeah. decided. Strawberries oh, oh no, I know what that one is now. That's Saison Colada uh, with the, the fuchsia wax. Now I remember what I sent. Oh, okay. Uh, so Saison Colada is a, uh, is a beer that we do uh, once a year. It's a taproom exclusive bottle. Uh, this year, I, I think that version that I sent you guys is, uh, is this year's version. Uh, so we take our uh, base uh, Brett Saison. I uh, aged it in uh, some of our uh, funky Sauv Blanc barrels, and we add uh, black tea leaves, uh, kiwi, prickly pear, uh, coconut, pineapple, and hibiscus <laughs> to wow. it. And uh, just kind of make a uh, what I consider like a, a colada type drink. Uh, to me, it kind of drinks like a watermelon Jolly Rancher. Big time. That's yeah, exactly that's what it is. That was my so, first thing I said to Jay. Watermelon. Yeah, it's just a fun. Uh, it's just one of those fun beers. I mean, it's. I'm not sure how cost effective it really is to make because of all the ingredients, but it sure is a fun beer to make, and uh, it kind of is one of those beers the locals uh, snatch up and. Uh, uh, and enjoy. Uh, it's. I think it's a unique beer. Uh, I think the colors. The colors nice. Uh, the the aromas killer. Uh, every time that I, uh, every time I've opened up a bottle, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I actually did our saison uh, for uh, this year about a month or so ago and uh, forgot to make a uh, version for this year. So uh, it'll be 2017 before uh, before we get another version because oh. I forgot. This is rare. Yeah. <laughs> It's not that rare. I forget a lot. Just to quickly touch on the the business side of it, what what does a bottle of this go for on the shelf at retail? Well, that one would uh, so that one would be sold uh, just in our tap room. It'd be uh, twenty bucks. Uh, I think all of our uh, all of our seven fifties are uh, twenty bucks, and um, all of our twelve uh, ounce bottles are uh, are five bucks. Uh, the only exception I think is the uh, uh, blood orange Berliner, and that's about four bucks a bottle. Uh, no matter what it is in our 12 ounce, uh, just the way that we have our SKUs set up, uh, whether it's a, a 12% uh, Belgian double in uh, four different barrels or a uh, uh, some sort of a other uh, saison treatment in 12 ounce bottles, they're they're all five bucks. It just keeps the prices even, uh, makes it easy to understand what we're doing. Yeah. What do you, do you, Jay, do you do the same across the board price wise? 
Our prices vary because uh, yeah. we do all 750s, but some of the beers age longer. Yeah. You know, that to me, time is the biggest variable. So our beers are maybe a little different from some other sour beer producers because all we do is sour beer, or all we do is barrel aged sour beer. It's kind of the minimum time is always six months, uh, not by law, just that's the nature of the beer. So that kind of provides a lot of variability for us, the ingredients as well. Um, other breweries that kind of have a more robust sour beer portfolio, you know, uh, Brandon's talking about Berliners versus kind of these types of beers that are aged in barrels for much longer. I love that that breweries are doing that because uh, you can get prices kind of all over the spectrum and a lot of different flavors, and you can really uh, taste and tell the difference between the different uh, sour beer production methods, which is something Brandon and I were talking about on that uh, Craft Brewers Conference panel. But taking a, a little bit of a step back, uh, Brandon, you've given us a nice amount of background on uh, your journey from you know TV to a juggernaut beer blog, just dynamite stuff, <laughs> <laughs> over to Yazoo. But what what was Yazoo's sour program when you got there, and what does it look like now? I mean, I'm thinking, how many oak barrels, how many releases are you guys doing? Give us a sense of the scope. Well, um, the the sour program was non-existent. There there wasn't one. I mean, there had been a uh, a beer called Fortuitous that uh, um, Linus – so there was a batch of Sioux. So Yasu moved from um, from a, a building where a Corsair Distillery is there now. It's called the uh, Marathon Music Works. It was a small building. It was a very old historic building. Uh, they outgrew that building. And so uh, about four years ago, they moved out. I, I think it was 2010 when they moved out. And uh, one of the batches of Sioux, which is the Imperial Smoked uh, Cherrywood Porter, got infected. Uh, nothing was ever sent off for testing, but uh, what I looked at under the microscope and what um, I believe that uh, Ken and uh, Linus Ken's the head of QC at Yazoo, it looked like pediococcus under the microscope. So, and it's it, that would probably be the only thing I can think of that would really infect it this way because the beer I think is about 70 IBUs and. Nine and a half percent. So I mean, it would take a lot, and it did it within a few weeks. So, so that got infected. They uh, brought it back. They made a blend with some fresh Sioux and some uh, bourbon barrel aged Sioux, and uh, and released that. So that was kind of the first sour beer. But I didn't have anything to do with it other than just kind of tasting it when they when they did blend it and be at the release. Uh, then it was two more years before uh, Linus and I started the uh started the embrace the funk program in uh in 2012 so uh once we got there once i got there it was uh uh it was that one barrel you know i told you that i just brought over and uh, it started with that one that one kind of magical barrel from Vinny, and uh grew to two barrels once we had sold that first barrel we've uh we've always tried to run it um run it lean in the beginning just to uh, make it successful and uh, once we had our uh, beer sold off those two barrels, we uh, bought six more barrels, which uh, became the first batches, batch of Deruges. Um, Corsair let us come back and brew that first uh, first batch of uh, Deruges there. So that was a pretty cool thing to see Linus go back to uh, the original building, brew on the original system that he bought for his first uh, his first craft brewery, and uh, get to do that. You know, that was kind of a special moment to get to. Uh, get to do that with him because he hadn't been back really to uh i guess to do anything uh since uh since he had moved up to uh the gulch area of nashville so uh to get to go back and do that and uh just kind of it'd be a historic thing uh, to happen in that building uh in nashville was uh that was a neat moment and then the uh 
the release when we did end up releasing Daruja's um, in uh, 2014 because the beer ages for uh, 13 to 14 months in uh, uh, freshman low barrels. So, you know, even though we brewed it, like you said, you know, the, the time the time involved, it just takes a while. And uh, I certainly didn't want to screw up my first bottle release right out of the gate. So I knew how important it was to uh, to myself and the success of uh, any sort of program that I thought may have a chance of taking off at, at some level. And uh, so we did, uh, we released that. I think we did 600 bottles in January 2014 at Arugia's and uh, sold those out in, I think, about three hours, then released subsequent variants of it. The uh, single barrel, we have a single barrel version that's always non-blended that is uh, usually around 200 bottles. And then uh, the first year of Cherry de Rouge, which was the uh, GABF winner, is the batches we got out of that. So uh, now we were, I was trying to find it, actually. I, I think I put up a number the other day, but... Now we've we've since moved out. Uh, we were we're in the upstairs area of the brewery. Uh, not a really good place to run a barrel program because you have to move all your barrels uh, over and then uh, forklift everything down. I had one tank downstairs that I know made everybody so nervous having this one little eight barrel tank. That um, you know, here's this guy that's never never done anything professionally in brewing, and you know we've got him in the largest brewery in the entire state, and uh, he's making these beers with uh, you know. 25, 30 different microbes in it that could get in and, uh, you know, destroy a batch of a 200-barrel batch of, uh, of IPA or something. So, thankfully, we never had any issues while I was over there. We moved out uh, about a, uh, two years ago into a 7,000-square-foot uh, facility that's uh, about four miles away from the main brewery. So, um, we have everything uh, everything completely separate now. Uh, the only time that uh, Funky Beer is actually in the building in Division Street in the Gulch is uh, when it's being served and sold. That's it. We've got two fooders now. We just uh, took delivery of a 60-barrel fooder uh, that I filled last week. Uh, we've got a 40-barrel, around 30 punch-ins and hogsheads. Um, quite a few, uh, you know, quite a few rows stacked five, five high of uh, wine barrels. Um, I feel like we're sitting on maybe seven, I mean, about 700 barrels, 800 barrels worth of uh, worth of beer right now, just uh, aging in Nashville. So I think that's, uh, I'm pretty proud of that, uh, that in Nashville, Tennessee, that we have that much beer, um, we have that much beer aging. Oh, here it is. I found it. Um, so, yeah, 700 barrels. So the way I added it up, yeah, around 700 barrels of uh, funky and sour beer that's aging here and. You know, a few years ago, all you could find uh, was things like uh, Lafalee, Rodenbach. Um, you, you were lucky to get a bottle of Orval, even. So, just to be able to have this in Nashville, I think, is is a really cool testament to how how our beer community and, and all the folks around here have embraced what we what our ideas on funky beers are, and uh, the support that we get in the southeast. They've uh, everywhere from distributors to the uh, restaurants to different uh, bottle shops. They've all really enjoyed the products, and it gives them a it gives them a fun thing to sell. The, it's got that Tennessee label on it. I'm I'm proud of my state. I'm proud of where we live, and you know, I feel like we make great things. And uh, you know I'm happy to represent it. Yeah, it's an awesome journey from that one two oak barrels, then six more to seven hundred. That's that's quite yeah. That's quite Boy. a jump, and you know I can see why you guys have been. Uh, enthused to do that this uh brett saison remix is just awesome and yeah if i you know you make beers like this you're you're gonna want to make more and the people will respond all right i think we're running a little short on time so scott here's what i want to do yeah i want to talk to brandon 
in the next show, I'm teasing it now. Okay. About the, right. you know, he said 25 to 30 different microbes. I want to know more mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. We'll get a little bit more process heavy. Before we get to our show break, I want to get to a question. Okay. But even before that, mm-hmm. I want to show you what a seamless transition is. Do you know what that is, Scott? Not yet. Well, I'll tell you. Have you seen what the free Brew Guru app can do for you? No, Jay, I haven't. Well, it's built for homebrewers and beer lovers, Scott. The Brew Guru delivers sage brewing and <laughs> brew guru <laughs> sage brewing knowledge and money saving deals at breweries beer bars and homebrew supply shops that's three things you're really going to want if oh, you're yeah. into beer uh, those are the only places i go so who the hell's doing this the american homebrewers association oh, the AHA. Our friends who at else the AHA. they've designed this powerful mobile app to help homebrewers and craft beer lovers explore the wide world of beer that we all share with the brew guru you can effortlessly find deals and save money on beer Food, that's a big one for me, and brewing supplies. (laughs) Level up your brew IQ. There's a lot of U's in this. Brew IQ. (laughs) Brew IQ with the brew guru. (laughs) With hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the AHA and Zymergy Magazine. That's a lot of recipes to coalesce into one app. And use the powerful brewery locator to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, homebrew supply shops, and brew pubs wherever you are. Brew Guru will lead you to good beer. Get the app today and follow the path to beery enlightenment. It's free on the iPhone, iPad, and Android services. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Brew Guru. Brew Guru. The, e- the AHA does uh, great work, so Absolutely. no reason to not uh, check out an app that they've put out. It, Brew it, Guru. It is kind of nice. You know, you're out home brewing. You know, you're in the garage, and it's like maybe you don't have, like, the laptop or iPad, but you do have, like, the smartphone. Sure. You get the app. You're like, what's – I'm doing this Berliner. What's – what are, like, people mash this at? And you're like, ah. My third beer. It's 8 a.m. What I'll am I to do? Load up the Brew Guru and uh, – <laughs> Type it in and check out what's going on. I uh, love it. All right. God so bless let, the AHA. Let's do a, a question. Yeah, as I embrace my, like, third glass of this uh, Brett Saison over Let's here. embrace this question. Yes, let's. It's, com- it's from Cole Gansberg, who says, first off, Scott and Jay wanted to thank you guys for the awesome show. I think many people would agree that your podcast is pretty much the gift of fire to lowly home brewers. <laughs> he goes on it. to C- say. Caveman. <laughs> That's the reference. He says, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> what, were cavemen? <laughs> Cavemen got fire, and that was like a big deal. Uh, So this is like, that's the analogy. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've noticed that there seems to be, um, he says, a general consensus for around 5% ABV in most sours. Um, Since high-gravity beers have more sugars, would a sour beer benefit from having a higher gravity since theoretically there would be more sugar and nutrients for the bugs? Yeah, that's interesting you say that 5 is the standard. I, I almost feel like... A lot of sour beers trend towards the 6-7 range. Um, certainly there are breweries who hang out a lot higher than that. Um, rare barrel beers are 5-6 most of the time. Maybe we creep up to 7. We're just coming out with a beer here shortly that, well, hopefully we'll come out with it. We'll see how it uh, bottle conditions, but that'll be hovering around the 10% range. I think the, the more sugar thing is certainly a factor um, in how you want to design your beer. Uh, and introducing more alcohol is going to change the way the yeast ferments and the bugs interact. So, you know, the, uh, lactobacillus gets inhibited. A lot of strains of lactobacillus get inhibited, I should say, around 8% alcohol. Um, so just like, you know, dialing up your IBUs, uh, it's it's another factor you can play around with. But if you're worried about getting your bugs more involved and getting more acidity. I think there are ways other than brewing a high gravity beer that can do that. 
Um, mostly that's going to be lowering your hopping rate to maybe nothing, uh, inhibiting yeast growth, and uh, just kind of having a little bit higher temperatures, kind of cheating to get the sugar sources more directly to the bacteria rather than the yeast will help you out, you know, limiting oxygen during your primary fermentation, stuff like that. But once you build up a nice healthy culture, if uh, maybe, the, maybe the implication here is that uh, this brewer is looking to increase their acid profile. Think, oh, and well, and ABV, I think. And, and yeah. ABV. Um, yeah, I think st- with strong microbes, you can achieve that at any alcohol percentage. Brandon, what do you, what do you think? And what's your guys' typical range of alcohol? Yeah, well, our our range, I think we hang out under six. Uh, so one of the things that we'll be exploring in our uh, in our project uh, in the collab is the legalities in uh, in states. So so our legalities in Tennessee uh, until next year is anything six point two and under is considered and taxed as beer. Anything six point uh, three and higher. Uh, is is considered liquor and is taxed at liquor rates, which is uh, substantially higher. So how we have to go about making higher gravity beers is we have to get a distiller's license. Even though we're not distilling anything, the state of Tennessee still views it as high gravity. Uh, so we don't make a whole lot of beers uh, that, are, that are high gravity, uh, mainly because of the taxes and the profitability. But occasionally we do. Uh, I think one of the beers I sent you guys is uh, Never Again. And uh, that's a that's a pretty beefy beer. Uh, that was a uh, Belgian dark strong, and uh, we were able to get um, I think around eleven percent out of that with uh, a nice uh, souring backbone to it. Uh, a lot of that was derived from uh, from Pediococcus. Uh, like you were saying, the uh, lactobacillus tends to die out uh, fairly quickly uh, in the uh, especially if you have a mixed culture with. Uh, Britannomyces or Saccharomyces in there, uh, creating alcohol. So, um, to me, I enjoy the bigger ones. They're they're more they're a challenge to make. They uh, I don't think you need to go overboard with the amount of acidity in there. Uh, we uh, rate everything on a total acidity. We don't really use pH for anything anymore except for mash, and uh, just to see if like uh, acidity is forming in our Berliner vices. That's really about it. Uh, we try to keep our acids uh, in check. So I think if you're going to go with a big beer, you know, keep your acids in check. Not acids, but acids <laughs> in check. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, don't build it up too big. A little bit goes a long way with those flavors because uh, if you are using a lot of malts, you know, the higher you get, the more expressive those malts are going to be at at, uh, at the uh, higher doses rates in your in your grist. So uh, just watch your balance. I think you have to be a little more balanced up uh, when you're starting to creep up into 8 9 10% on, uh, on uh, sour beers. But, yeah, again, most of ours are um, – I try to keep them, um, keep them between 5 and, uh, you know, 6, 6 1, uh, just because of uh, we want to be able to serve them at a lot of places. And uh, certain places don't have liquor license, and I want to be able to serve – you know, have my beer for sale there. Yeah, so there's some practical parameters right there, too. Yep. Never Again is um, sitting on the desk, Brandon, just so you know. It's uh, warming up a little bit before we get into it in the next show. All right. Uh, and also, I should mention that um, Cole, thanks for the email, and he did say at the end that he loves the new outro. Oh. Yes, he did say that. Excellent. Well, we're going to be hitting that. Is this another seamless transition? <laughs> well, no, that actually didn't work because I've got one more thank oh, you before you end, Scott. Oh, yeah, I should have given you the uh, the signal. But uh just want to give a shout-out to... 
one of our favorite sponsors, Oregon Fruit Products. Uh. You remember Chris came on the show just a few shows ago. That was an awesome overview of what they're doing up there. Their aseptic purees are easy to use and convenient to store. No additives or artificial flavors, just simply great expression of the fruit. They love working with brewers. I can attest to that uh, to help us innovate. So you should check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit, they bring fruit to, to life. life. Yeah, and we just got their um, passion fruit, rhubarb, and pineapple in that we're all going to try out uh, here shortly. So pretty excited about that. And, you know, I'm actually I'm, I'm disappointed in myself because in going back and editing the last show, mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, when you did our Oregon fruit um, a read, yeah. uh, you had said L'chaim after we said the to life line. Yes. But I spoke right over you and made some stupid joke about uh, uh, Wildcard Jen from Wicked Weed. And uh, I missed it, but I, I just want to let you know I really enjoyed it. You heard it. it. I did hear it. By editing the show. Yes, yeah. I did. Okay, that's excellent. L'chaim, that's, back I, to you. I won't do that this time, but when I can sneak and little Easter eggs, I will. <laughs> Easter eggs? Yeah. You know, what that, you know that phrase? I do, yeah, but it's uh, on the heels of my Jewish-themed L'chaim. I would hope you would do something other than an Easter reference, but, you know, I understand. Well, we're at war now. <laughs> <laughs> we're a divided podcast. No, no. I still love you, Scott. Thank I'm here you. To, uh, yeah, I'm here to bridge the gap with you, Jay. Thanks to Brandon. We're still uh, going to extract some more information from him in uh, the next show. Thanks to all you listeners. For hanging in there with our sporadic schedule. Until next time, no harm. Stay sour.